Hey yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. Once again, I'm Martin, joined by the King of the Casters, my co-host, Mr. Brett Podcast. Brett, um, we got a legend with us. Always happy to have a legend. That's right, and, and he's he's one of our favorite people. Uh, one of our uh, one of the all-time greatest songwriters in, in the world. Um, you know, you cannot do better than this man just just for for sheer enjoyment. Uh, we have Jim Peterick back on the show. Uh, Jim, it's so great to have you back. Uh, how are you? Thanks for having me back, guys. I'm doing great. I'm really doing well. I'm, uh, you know, as, as long as I stay creative, I stay healthy. You know, that that's my my jam, really. And people said, you know, you wrote all these songs. I said, what? They go, what's your best song? I said, I, I haven't written it yet. You know, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to that. You know. <laughs> well, and and happy belated birthday. I mean, we're just uh, what are we here? Like nine days away from your birthday, so that's yeah, a, that's man. a big event. Yeah, seventy three, man, and feeling feeling strong. Well, that's good because because you need to go another seventy three of uh, just of music, right? So. It's possible. You know, you you never know. People used to live to like one hundred seventy five. I'm working on that. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're we're here, of course. Part part of the reason to talk about uh, dangerous combination uh, with with Kevin Cronin of Ario Speedwagon, the new the new world stage uh, song from the new album Roots and Shoots. I mean, oh boy, lots coming up for you as usual. Yeah, the, you know, just to call it a passion project um, understates it. I mean, they're really all passion projects, but this Roots and Shoots, man. Uh, it's been really, really special because I get to write and co-sing with some of my all-time heroes. I mean, Kevin Cronin, just taking him singularly, he was in the audience when the Ides of March used to play a place called the Blue Village in Westmont, Illinois. I didn't know he was there, but he knew we were there. He loved the Ides of March. He, he was a big fan. And he was the head of student council at his Evergreen Park High School. And he hired the Ides of March to play the prom. He was a senior, uh, no, he was a junior. I was a senior, I was an old guy, you know. And uh, we we played his prom and we became fast friends and haven't missed a beat since then. That's amazing for sure. Now, when you're writing with somebody like Kevin, I mean, I mean, both of you have such a you know vast body of work behind you. Like, how does it work? Well, that's a very good question because it's always different. But with this one, you know, dangerous combination. We wrote it in one room together on the on the west coast. I visited him, and we, he he loves to play acoustic guitar, and I had my acoustic guitar and we just started jamming really but the hook dangerous combination was the the glue really and we weren't talking about him and me although later we thought we were a down a dangerous combination but it was, it was really about he and a, and a female you know uh you and me tonight were a dangerous combination i've been drinking too much i've been thinking too much and Drinking and thinking to me is a dangerous combination. Boom, we had a song. And, uh, and and it was just wonderful to work with them and putting this as the lead track on on volume one, Roots and Shoots. So that, of course, means that there'll be a volume two. I mean, but but then again, you need what, volume four of everything? Like uh, well, yeah, there will be a volume two. That'll drop, as the kids say, uh, in April or May. And that's being compiled now, but some amazing guests already on tap for that. But we're talking about volume mm -hmm. one, so I have to focus. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Who yeah. who are the rest of the people on volume one? Oh well, there's since some you asked, folks. thank you. Uh, it's a guy named Colin Peterick. Um, hmm. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. I don't. Uh, last name sounds familiar. Yeah, but... it sounds familiar. He's uh, my 34 year old son, uh, way better than I am mm -hmm. as a songwriter, as a singer. He's amazing he is one of the top steely dan tribute bands he's been a steely dan fan since he was like 13 and i first introduced him to steely dan and he became you know a devotee of steely dan he became 
the guy who put together a thing called the Brooklyn Charmers, who is the, probably the biggest Steely Dan tribute band in America. Uh, but aside from that, he's got his own solo career. Uh, and Colin Peterick's going to be coming out at the beginning of next year. Really proud of the guy. He's a father of two. Uh, made me a granddad twice, you know, with Maisie and Colby and his wife, uh, Meredith, is fantastic. So I'm blessed with Colin, and he's always been a great kid. That's awesome. Um, who else have we got going on? We got, well, funny you should ask. You've heard of Don Barnes, the 38 special. We talked about mm-hmm. him. Yep. Uh, Larry and I, who uh, <clears throat> hooked me up with you today, and is my uh, dear friend since third grade, and my engineer, co-producer, and, and everything guy, he and I wrote a song called Last Dream Home uh, with Don Barnes in mind and 38 Special. And and we played played the song, or we did a demo for Don Barnes. He goes, I'm in, you know, but I want to change like, you know, three lines. No credit, but just, yeah, okay, fine. And he did, he came into town right through those doors right there. And we had cut the track prior to him coming, as we do, uh, at least the basic track. And then he lays over his vocals and then his guitars. And what you hear is the fruition of that session. And then I see that uh, Mark Farner's on the album, uh, Kelly Kege. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, right down the, the pike, you know, well, <laughs> first of all, Roots and Shoots, let's go to a, a shoot, Paul Childers. I have a, a, a gal in, in New Orleans named uh, Christine Trammell, who's, uh, you've heard of uh, Greg Barnhill, the, the famous songwriter, it's his sister. Anyway, she finds me talent in the New Orleans area, and she turned me on to a guy named Paul Childers. He came to Chicago to sing Forever's the Last Place You Look and blew the doors off. And so he's a shoot, then Kelly Kagey, he's a root, and he sang Men, Men Fences, uh, he did great. Kelly's been a dear friend since, you know, the early Night Ranger days and the Survivor days. We used to tour together. Then um, Mark Farner, as you mentioned, we've been friends forever. And that's the name of the song, Friends Forever. Oh, my God, <laughs> this is too crazy. And uh, and we really have been friends forever. Leslie Hunt, she's what I call a shoot. I've been working with Leslie since she was 15, though. Uh, local St. Charles girl. You know, super talented. Mark McKay, who um, just got signed to a, a big label. I mean, if there is such a thing as a big label anymore, but it's a big label. And uh, it's just super talented. And we co-wrote a song called I Found Me When I Found You. Uh, and then Fire and Water, Dave Mikulskis, who's a local singer here that is just incredible. Uh, and Lisa McClowry, who I've done albums with. Larry and I have produced albums for Lisa McClowry. And... Um, just an incredible singer. So it's just a, a really interesting mix of people. How long does it take you to put together an album like this? Well, a uh, long time, uh, you know, although you don't realize it's work, but I would say about, you know, two or three years to really, I remember it started, you know, right at the beginning of COVID planning this whole thing and ending when that was all done. And uh, just this year, we finished it up. Uh, but uh, we we're also at the same time, uh, preparing Roots and Shoot Volume 2. So that was mixed in. And then Frontiers, my label, said, if you know, this is too much for one album, maestro. And I go, you're right. So we made it two albums. So two minutes in one, you know, one uh, in January and one in, um, you know, May ish, ish yes, ish right. yeah. <laughs> what about uh, like touring plans for for this? What do you think? Well, the Ides of March are coming on a, on, on a big uh, landmark date. Uh, Sixty years together as of tomorrow uh, at next year, March fifteenth, is when we actually got together in nineteen sixty four. Ides of March, the original four guys: myself, Larry Mills, Bob Berglund, and Mike Borch. I've been together now for 60 years next year. Wow. So that's quite a landmark. So on March 15th, we're doing a, a big show in Chicago um, to be announced, but it's going to be with Full Symphony, uh, an indoor show, of course, March. But uh, 
it, we're going to tell, not televise it, but film it and release it as a as a uh, kind of part of a documentary and the whole nine yards. We have big plans for our 60th anniversary. Isn't it amazing? I mean, to think back 60 years with the same group in that regard, that's uh, that's incredible. It really is. I mean, I always think of the Ides. First of all, we've known each other all since third grade, which which helps. Uh, and we played in the grade school band together. And I was in Cub Scouts with Bob Berglund, Boy Scouts with, with Bob. Sang Kumbaya for the, you know, the PTA, you know, the public. <laughs> All this really corny, great stuff that we just cherish looking back at now. And within the band, of course, Scott May, who you probably communicated with, you know, regarding the setup and everything. Scott May's been, he's the newbie of the Ides of March. He's been with us for 33 years. <laughs> so that's the newbie. Uh, anyway, you know, we have just, just this great history and everybody in the band kind of has their own role in the band. Uh, Larry is the, the co-producer and engineer of all, all the material. And, uh, you know, Mike, um, he handles, you know, the scheduling. He sends us all the schedules of, of, of upcoming shows. Uh, Bob Berglund, as I like to say, cooks the books. I mean, he does the books. Uh, and uh, who did I miss? Larry Mills, Mike Borch, me. Did I miss somebody? Yeah. Uh, we all have our, our jobs. And, <laughs> and for me, my main gig is songwriting, really. Uh, and uh, I, I love presenting new songs to the band and they'll go thumbs up, thumbs down, or we'll give it a try, you know? So it's always a democracy. I, I You know, ba based on, on what we know of your, your songs, I can't imagine anybody going, oh, thumbs down. We don't want that one. <laughs> well, you know, there are some that are, are stronger than others and, They'll very gently say, you know, um, yeah, well, let's um, let's think about that. You know, that that's code for eh, maybe it's not your best. <laughs> when you have a song that that say comes up and and somebody thinks maybe it's not your best, like, do you ever kind of take that back and say, hmm, I wonder if uh, like how I can make it better, or do you just kind of go push it off to the side and move on? No, I nothing is wasted in, in my files. I mean. If there's one part to a song that is golden, I'll say, oh, that's the part that you're right. The rest of it's kind of, eh. but that chorus or that verse is really special. I have files of tapes and notebooks downstairs. Uh, and sometimes if I'm kind of strapped for inspiration, I'll just go like this and pick a notebook from, you know, like 1972 or, or a tape from, 19 even before that i keep everything nothing's wasted and i go back and i review stuff and when i wrote this song with colin peterick my son before anyone knows we're gone he says well let's go through the files um and see if there's a scrap of something you did many years ago and i said nah <laughs> and we started a new song but he had the right instincts, but you know you can't always just access a, a brilliant song that you couldn't complete thirty years ago, and have it make sense anymore. Yeah, what's it like? I guess like the time capsule of of your collection of of items, where it's just like do do they kind of remind you of those times when you go back? Oh, totally. Um, you know, I would say that certain eras reminded me of uh, of old girlfriends. Uh, but really, I only had one girlfriend and I ended up marrying her. Um, <laughs> I, I met Karen uh, at a Turtles concert. Uh, the Turtles, I love the Turtles, but I was too afraid to ask anybody, ask a girl to the show. So I go to the show, uh, my white Valiant, 64 Valiant, which my uncle Leslie, he died in willed to me, thank God for Leslie. And um, I drive there in my blue pea coat with the hood on it. And I'm waiting in line, I'm like right in front of the line, you know, and all of a sudden this gaggle of girls show up and one's cuter than the next. And a gaggle is like three or more fabulous girls. That's a gaggle, just so you know. And um, I'm looking at this one, I'm kind of looking down her blouse, you know, and 
she's got knee socks on and saddle shoes. And oh my God, I said, you know, typical Catholic girl, girl, I love this. And um, I said to myself, this girl will never talk to me. And she turns to me and says, aren't you Peterick? I go, yeah. I just saw the Ides of March at, at, at the high school. And you guys were great. I said, there is a God, you know. <laughs> and we sat together at the Turtles concert, halfway through Happy Together. She puts her leg on top of my leg. And her girlfriend goes, Karen. And, he, and she goes, it's okay. I trust him. Big mistake. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> But the rest is history. You know, we broke up for a while because she wanted to date other guys. Like, okay. Yeah, because I was the first guy she really dated. But I knew she'd come back, you know, because I was. Anyway, finally, she starts calling me again. It's not a date, but you've got a cool car. You, still, you got the, now you got a 240Z. It's really nice. First year they came out. And can I have a ride to, um, well, it wasn't cheerleading. What was it? Oh. Modeling school, Patricia Stevens in Oak Park, Illinois. I said, sure. So I gave her a, a ride. You know, I thought maybe I'd get a kiss at the end. Shook my hand. And she goes, let's do it again next week. I go, okay. Well, that turned on for, kept going for a while. And I started feeling a little resentful. And at some point to myself, I said, you know, all I am is your vehicle. All I am is her vehicle. Holy <laughs> This is a great idea. And I, I heard this horn like ba da ba ba da kind of thing, you know. Ba 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 da Yeah, that'll work. And then I'm, I'm picturing the horn going ba da ba ba da You know, and it just kept going. And I, I knew I caught lightning in a bottle, you know. And it went to number one on WLS across the country, really. Guess who starts calling me again? <laughs> yeah. Little Miss Kulats. And, <laughs> you know, maybe I was a little bit hasty. You know, maybe we should get together and, and date again. And I said, well, I give it about three seconds. And I go, sure. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, man, to this day, you know, 51 years of marriage later, Karen, uh, I'm still Karen's vehicle, and I will take her anywhere she wants to go. <laughs> uh, it's been a, a, a great relationship. Now we got two grandkids, and it's just uh, pretty amazing. That is a wonderful story, absolutely. <laughs> You know, what's it like then being a grandparent and trying to expose, I mean, of course, with Colin, but expose the grandkids to music as well? Well, you know, I don't try to do that. You know, I, you know, Colin, I, I think, you know, plays things. And Maisie just wrote her first song, and it was amazing, amazing. Um, and, but he doesn't want to, like, she's only six years old and doesn't want to promote that kind of, you know, star vision at eight six. You know, so he's really underplaying it. But she's got the gene, and little Colby has the has the gene too. But they're keeping it under wraps till they they grow up and could accept anything that comes. Yeah, for sure. Because because I, I think that of course the music industry is so much different now than it was when you started. Right? Um, probably dramatically. <laughs> oh God! I mean, I'm so lucky you know all the ads we're all so lucky to have made it in the 60s 70s and 80s because you know that was when people actually went to the store and bought records and things like that antiquated things although now vinyl is kind of sort of coming back but it'll never be to the extent it was you know this was a, a magical era for rock and roll yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got right behind me, I've got uh, my vinyl collection and and there's Jim Peterick in my vinyl collection. So Yay! <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's still still nothing uh, like the snap, crackle and pop of vinyl, you know, uh, I love it. Well, absolutely. And for me, you know, I know one of the things that I loved the most was just just, you know, reading liner notes and going over and just pouring over those things, especially when I was a kid, just sitting there on the couch and just where you where you actually listen to music. 
I know. And, and you would open up those gatefolds and, you know, you'd find these treasures of lyric sheets and stuff printed on the sleeve. And those days are gone. You know, it, it's, it's a shame because when you bought an album, half of the fun was reading what came with it, you know, as you listened to the record and flipped it over and, ah, good times. <laughs> As you kind of progress in your career, and of and of course, as as these trends move on, how do you how do you adapt to those trends? I don't. Um, you know, I, I think you know to be real naive and a, a a great song. Let's just say a good song is a good song. You can ar- arrange it fifteen different ways. I mean, I have covers of. A vehicle and I of the tiger that take it into Jamaican style and all these different subgenres, and it all works. It starts with a good song, a good beat, a good lyric, and then um, a guy like Shaggy from Jamaica can do him the friendly stranger in the black sedan, you know, and and you get really jiggy with it. But um, it starts with a good song. Now, I mean, for like the very first time you and I talked, um, we bonded over The Search is Over, which is, you know, one of my all-time favorite songs. But like when you think about a song like that and and adapting it, you know, differently, can, do you always hear the same thing or is it easy to kind of adapt that to a new sound? Um, I, I don't quite get your question. It's pretty complex. Like, Try well, again. I, like I'm, I'm thinking like, like so. If when you do try to adapt it to say like a Jamaican style or something oh, like okay. that, like is that an easy switch in your brain or is that difficult because you always hear the original? Well, I let other people do the the transformation. I never do alternate versions. It's people send me alternate versions. I'll either say yes or no. But yeah, it's hard to reinvent the original for me. Uh, <laughs> cut the searches over a country artist, country rock artist, uh, cut the searches over. Uh, it's, it's escaping me, but he, it was amazing. It was, um, I'm sorry, I, I forgot his name, or it was a famous guy. It was that famous guy, that famous country. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, he didn't change it that much, but he was such a good singer. He reinvented it for the uh, country rock market. And then, you know, how often do you get those kind of things where, where people will, will record your songs and then send it to you? Well, my pub, I, they won't send it to me. Mm. They'll send it to my publisher, you know. And uh, most of it doesn't pass their gate, you know, be, until it gets to me because there's a lot of crap, really, you know. But through due diligence, they'll send it to me and I'll go, no, you're right. That's crap. Yeah, let's, let's, that's not good. Like the when the rap artists started getting filthy with one of my songs, that was a, right away. It was a no, you know. No, the, I had a great spirit when I wrote this song. Don't turn it into something else, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I guess that's the thing, right? Like Jim Peterick, you in and of yourself are a brand. So how how important is it then to protect that brand? Well, it's very important, you know. Uh, it's not a holier than thou thing, but I, I do have standards. My my songs all, I would say, all speak to positivity. And even if there's, you know, a little sadness in the lyric, at the end of the tunnel, at the end of the song, there's hope for the future of getting back to that with that girl or whatever the storyline is. There's always hope at the end. When you're when you're writing new songs, and of course, I mean, you how how often do you write? Do you are you kind of like writing every moment of every day? Not every moment, but really every day. You know, I'll just turn on my uh, you know recorder, uh, my phone nowadays. You know, and put down a little little piece and document it, the title, and sometimes I'll go back to that. But it's a constant process. Really, I never stop. I I love it. I guess you could call uh, my wife calls me an obsessive songwriter, and I guess that's right. She's not saying it in a negative way, but she she knows how obsessed I I 
am with writing the next song or the next hopefully great song. I guess too, like how deep into the minutia of the of the lyrical content, especially right away, like how deep do you dive in? Like do you kind of do a first pass and then and then tweak it? Or are you really kind of like obsessing over lines here and there right away? Now right in the hallway I have uh, the original draft of I had the tiger with crossed out words. I mean I blew it up because it was really so significant because it shows the the first draft, you know, and there's some really um, funny lyrics that thank God I changed, you know, I won't mention any, but, uh, <laughs> you know, what became I had the tiger was at least three drafts or four drafts beyond that. I have that too, but I thought this was so funny because when young writers come over or young artists, I show them that I said, this is how it started. Look us. How fucked up that is. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Yeah, and I and I guess it it must be kind of grounding for you as well to to always remind yourself of your roots. Oh God, yeah, N- no doubt. I mean, in in the process, not only the roots, but the process of writing a, a, a hopefully a great song. Um, and and a lot of times I'll overthink it and go back to a, a draft like four before it, I go, that's much better. You can overthink a song too, and I've done that as well, but usually I have a co-writer that says, yeah, it was better before, thank God. And then at that point, how do you how do you say, like when do you say, oh, this is done, it's ready? Yeah, um, well, when I'm co-writing, it's usually a consensus between the two or three of us, you know, and, um, in Nashville, you know, I mean, a three-way write is like nothing, you know. I mean, in Nashville, you write with five people, which I don't prefer, but I've done that. With Leonard Skinner, I've written with five people in the room. And we wrote some great stuff with, with Johnny Van Zant and all the guys from Skinner. It was by, like writing a song by committee, right? And um, one time Johnny uh, and I, were we took a break from this really unproductive um songwriting session with all the Skinner guys in the room uh, and in Florida. And we were in his pickup truck and we were just enjoying life. And he said, man, you know, that was really a lot of work. I said, it shouldn't be work. He said, sometimes you just gotta live life. And, I go, and the sun was shining, I said, yeah, live life like there's no tomorrow. And then we started scribbling down, live life like there's just today. Don't sweat all the tears and sour. Life is what happens when you look the other way, live life. We went back and showed the guys and we wrote the song and it totally broke through all the mental logjam of, of what came before it that day. Yeah, that that is interesting because, I mean, when you think about, I mean, us especially, we only hear the the final result. We don't hear what went into the song. and And I guess like those moments, it would be simpler with one-on-one interactions rather than having like, you know, a whole bunch of people just jibber-jabbering all at the same time. Oh my God. You know, sometimes it's very difficult, but when Johnny and I brought this idea, suddenly everybody was like, they were writing it down and really loved Living life like there's no tomorrow. Living life like it's just today. Don't sweat over pain and sorrow. Life is what happens when you look the other way. Live life. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> are you able to do those things too then when when you when you show somebody part of a song is that is that part of your process where you just kind of bring out the guitar and just and just sing it to them yeah totally i mean i always say that if it sounds it's not a great song unless it sounds good with one instrument uh either guitar or keyboard it's got to be something there just on that simple basis for me um, nowadays, good Lord, everything's changed, but that's still my coin of the realm. Now you talk about Nashville and of course you just had a chance to play the Grand Ole Opry, which, uh, you know, how was that? Oh my God. One of the best times I ever had. It, it's actually the third time I played the, the Opry, um, one, uh, twice before COVID and, and once recently. And, um, you know, I was the only rock act on the bill. 
everyone else was either country or western both kinds of music <laughs> but uh seriously um everybody was like really into each other's music backstage and they kind of knew what I had done in the past and I knew what they had done in the past. There's all these great country stars and country pop, of course. And, um, I came out there and, you know, I rehearsed with this, this full, uh, Nashville band, you know, Nashville, that's what they do when they get up in the morning and they play, you know, they do sessions and do, and they were all so dialed in, you know, to, well, I always do, you know, I'm always asked to do my two seminal hits, Vehicle and Eye of the Tiger. I, I got no problem with that. You know, if I had to pick two right today, those would be the two biggest things that ever happened to me in, in, in my musical career. And then you have all these amazing musicians from Nashville and four background singers. And we rehearse in, in this one location and then hit the stage and night of my life so far it was just amazing i mean we know all the things that you have done like are there things that you think about where it's just like hmm i still want to cross that one off the list <laughs> well i don't want to cross off paul mccartney i'd rather say <laughs> come on in uh you know i've got heroes a lot of them are have passed away sadly but you know my bucket list you know would be elton john paul mccartney you know the usual suspects uh, because they're my heroes and they kind of wrote the book uh, of my musical roots really what did you think of the new Beatles song yeah um, you know it, it didn't make sense till I saw it with the video yes I, mean, I, I would agree but it came to life when I saw the video and then I loved it mm -hmm. yeah I, I think when you when you see how it's done and you see like and, and then you see them all together and just how they bring it all together. I think it changes everything. It, it sure does. I had a huge lump in my throat at the end. Who didn't, right? Mm hmm Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, and then I guess, what do you think about like AI and stuff like that as, as a potential? I mean, I know you like to keep things in the past, but I mean, AI certainly is a con conversation point nowadays. I think it's pretty scary. And I, I don't, overall, as a concept, I don't like it because... There's too many ways of cheating, you know, uh, not just in, in college and in high school, but on songwriting and lyrics. You know, I, I'm kind of a firm believer of the creative process inside someone's head rather than, you know, using AI to enhance that. But, you know, I guess it could be a tool if it's not overused. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and in that case, I, th I think it was a it was a reasonable you know, way to kind of strip, you know, strip the vocals out and to make and to make a full song because because the elements were there. Oh, well, that part's fine. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, um, I'm referring to other things, but yeah, for sure. You're right about that. Yeah. Now, now, I'm you know, back to a dangerous combination in this case, you mm -hmm. know, I'll, when I was reading through the YouTube after watching the video, which I want to talk about just afterwards, but um, but, you know, so many people called it basically a country song. So when <laughs> when you're when you're writing like do you ever think about those lyrics like oh this this could be a country song or is it well, just oh, this is a great song that's funny i mean that's the first time i heard that i've been thinking too much i've been drinking too yeah i can see that yeah we weren't thinking country at all at a pedal steel and uh, banjo you might have something <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. This one, this one's already uh, ready to go to the Grand Ole Opry again. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. That's so funny. I never thought of it like that. <laughs> but do you ever, you, you, so when you're just writing, it's just kind of, it's just a, a good, you know, rock song. It's a song. It's a good rock song. That's the way I think of it. And um, I wish I could think of the guy that reinvented the search is over. I, I, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> I, I was amazing. I, I, I was amazed at how well it worked as a, as a country song. Mm -hmm. Well, and I guess it's true I, that I was looking it up for you. I was looking yeah. it up for you. Could yeah. not find it. I, oh, so... <laughs> oh, good. Unfortunately, well, I, I was looking it up for you. It was, it was an album. Know. It was an album track by this gentleman. It wasn't a single, but yeah, I'll get back to you on that.
<laughs> but you know i guess a good song is just a good song and it would transcend any format wouldn't it well within reason yeah you know but like that's my belief that a good song is a good song and um so you're right it can leap genres for sure so now the the dangerous combination uh, video, which which is so fun because you're you're in a room with all the monitors, and then Kevin yeah. is there with Ario Speedwagon. Like, how did you pull that off logistically? I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. at least at least I'd die happy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. Well, just hold that thought. <laughs> but, uh, it was a wizardry, actually. Did uh, did Ario Speedwagon kind of learn the song as well, just to just to play it uh, for that? Oh yeah, of part? course. Yeah, I mean you could tell they're making the right chords, which is mm -hmm. pretty important. But yeah, it was one of those things where we weren't in the same city together when we cut that video. Now you have that beautiful guitar which you've played. You know what's the what's kind of like the history of that guitar in your hands? Oh. Well, it's a tailor, which is a good start. You know, one with the glued in neck, not the full on neck, uh, nothing wrong with those. But, but what's significant about this is it was painted by the gal that I know very well and has painted like at least 10 of my guitars. Some of them are very elaborate. I don't know if I ever showed you the ones, the electrics that are so elaborate on the back. There's always a, a female ass on the back, a, a gal with a Quite beautiful. Anyway, <laughs> as you know. Anyway, but this is actually a combination of a horse and a female's ass. If you notice, it's kind of a melange of the two. Oh yes, I see that. See what see what I'm saying? Yeah. Rorschach test. You know, if you don't get that, well, you know, I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I, I and there, there's just there's a little design up there, but Kat Clausen is, is her name and. She's an incredible artist. She's uh, got her uh, displays in the Lincoln Museum and all sorts of really cool stuff in Illinois. Wow. So then how often... Just jump in. Is it Colin Ray? Is that the uh Yes, the yes, thank you. Colin Ray. Oh, boy, you're good. Well, once, thanks. Once you uh, mentioned that it wasn't a single, then I was able to... Colin Ray, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Colin Ray. And he, he's a friend. He's been on shows with me and... Oh, to, we've been to, on shows together is a better way to say it. And uh, just a super guy. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, take a load off your mind. That's catching a niche, you know. Yes. <laughs> Good one. Now, when you play a guitar like that, like how often, how often do you play each of your guitars? I guess, like, like what are your standard guitars for songwriting? What's yeah. what's well, I have uh, uh, 260 guitars, so I'd have to play a lot of them every day, <laughs> which I don't do. But I do have like, you know, about 20 that are in use, you know, both either as recording uh, instruments. Usually those are so clean that I won't take them out of the house and I don't want to, you know, put a belt buckle mark on it. I've done that before. It's uh, awful. And then there'll be like the seven or eight that I take on the road that are not um, valuable in, in the intrinsic way, but they're valuable because they stay in tune and they look great. And I've got the, the Brit flag Epiphone and the tiger striped. Um, well, there's this guitar that I had painted like tiger stripes and things that are really showy and really good, but are not like you know, vintage, valuable, like I have a flying V that's worth about a half a million dollars. Well, now it is. Um, it just keeps going up because there was only 57 of them made or something like that. Uh, so as a collector, I have a, a lot of pieces that, you know, someday I'll, I'll, I'll pass on to Colin. And he knows every nut and bolt on all these guitars because, well, he's not a collector himself, but he knows that these are valuable assets. He said, when when you uh, are gone, I'm going to do a museum with all that. <laughs> Whatever, put me in the museum. I don't care. But <laughs> I won't know about it. So, so then, I mean, you talk about the half million dollar guitar, like, but but from a personal, just 
kind of your heart perspective, what is your most valuable instrument? Well, it, it has to do with more than its real value. It's the first gold top Les Paul I ever got. You know, I, I've had some good guitars, but I always dreamed of getting a, a Les Paul gold top. And the year was late 68, early 69. And I went down to Guitar Gallery, uh, not Guitar Center, that was many years later. Guitar Gallery was on Wabash, and Larry and I and, and Bob would go down there and haunt the, these places all along Wabash Line and Healy, Sid Sherman, uh, and the Guitar Gallery. And Larry got his first Epiphone, which he still plays on stage at the Guitar Gallery. And I, uh, and there's a guy that, a cool guy, he was an older guy, like 22, <laughs> his name was Paul Staples. And and I was just about to buy a gold top with P90s, which are the Sopar pickups. He goes, well, Jim, you know, I'm, I'm, just hold on a little while. I, I got some custom orders from Kalamazoo coming and they got factory humbuckers. I go, okay, I'll wait. And um, he called me up and said, they're in. There's three of them. I got to choose one out of three. That's still my favorite guitar. Uh, I call it the Daisy Gold Top because I got one chip on it in 1970. Oh, I got a chip. And I, I had this little sticker that said Jim on it with flowery, you know, psychedelic. Put it over the, the, uh, the chip. And years later, I took it off, and the chip was still there. But now there's the imprint of the daisy, so I call it the daisy gold top. <laughs> Do all of your guitars like wind up with that with that kind of a story? Not all of them, but a, a lot of them have stories uh, not quite that colorful and not that special to me. But now I have like a small network of dealers that know I'm a sucker for a great vintage guitar, and you know Miami vintage is is great. And of course, David Brass at Fretted Americana on the West Coast. They know um, what's going to, you know, light me up. <laughs> How many guitars then would you buy on a regular, like, say, on average per year? Yeah, probably about three or four, you know. But I'll also, Karen makes, not makes me, but asks, no, she makes me. <laughs> if, you, if, you buy, if you buy three, you got to get rid of three. And usually what I get rid of is what I call the Deadwood, which are, showy and nice and i got a dealer here that uh you know he's an authorized used dealer and he turns the stuff around and you know a lot of times i'll sign it uh i've even signed old keyboards with with my name and uh some marge and stuff like that so i have to get rid of stuff and gradually i'm paring it down to just the the cream of the crop you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, I mean, that, and that's the thing. Do you ever think to yourself, Oh gosh, I'd love to sit down and play that guitar or, or do they kind of just sit there and, and are, are important as, as memories? Well, both really, you know, sometimes I'll uh, graze downstairs at, I have two vintage rooms. They're chock full of vintage stuff. And I, Oh, shit, I forgot about that one, you know, and I'll take it, take it out, tune it up and, I play it, you know, on a session, but very rarely live because of, uh, you know, the danger of taking things live, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have do you have like the same kind of feelings when it comes to other things, you know, whether whether it be pedals, effects, that kind of thing or other instruments? No, it, it's hard to, to uh, cozy up to pedals, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I use them. I, I I have three pedals in in constant stage uh, duty. A Wawa, a really good Vox Wawa, that really really was. Uh, and then a Klon pedal, one of the original K L O N overdrives, which are right now. I, I you know you bought it. I bought it for three hundred dollars uh, new, like back in I don't know eighty three or something. And now they're worth like six grand, you know, and people are going, you know, connoisseurs are going, you take that out on the road? I said, yeah, it sounds the best of anything. And no one's going to steal a freaking Klon pedal, you know, well, so far so good. And then I have the Wawa and an overdrive and overdrive can be any number of, of things. I have an Ibanez right now that just gives you a little over the cliff thing, as they say in Spinal Tap, you know, a little boost. 
do you ever find like you know when it comes down to repairs and that kind of thing like how do you handle those oh god that's that's i used to have a guy you know that moved to the west coast joey joey capagna he was brilliant i mean he could do anything he could make guitars he could ream out a third pickup on my on my gold top which i never should have done anyway but he was my guy and he moved uh, to the west coast and now one of our, our road crew you know does, does pretty good with me, mo- mostly simple stuff but I, i've got to find that one new joey uh for the the big repairs and uh i asked colin the other day my son he says i think i got the guy i've used him he's local and so i'm hopeful but i haven't tried him yet mm, how, how and then how often do you need repairs i guess well repairs adjustments you know more adjustments than repairs next uh, sometimes do that and i'm not a crank the the uh trust rod guy you know I, it's not on my job description you know yeah 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 you want the guitar to sound good and that, and that's <laughs> making it sound good that's your role right yeah that's, that's that's another thing yeah <laughs> Well, Jim, I, I noticed that we're we're just over time here, but uh, you know, it's it's always such a great pleasure talking to you. Um, your your depth and breadth of knowledge is is astounding. Well, thank you, uh, you guys too. You, you've always been great, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk to people uh, that well get it and and know my history and know the history of rock, and it all comes through. Well, thank you so much, and uh, and we want to give you the chance to tell everybody where they can get uh, Roots and Shoots when it comes out, how they can keep up with you, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, watch for a new video with Don Barnes that's uh, dropping very soon, and um, the Kevin Cronin video is up to like 100,000 views now and, and, and uh, gaining. Well, that's good because because uh, I mean it's an awesome song and I hope everybody listens to it. But then again, I just want everybody to listen to your music, so I'm, I'm biased. Well, be biased. <laughs> thanks, Mo and Brent. Really a pleasure again. Well, thanks so Thank much, you, Jim. Sir. Please, all right. Please continue doing Talk of the Tiger too, because I, I enjoy listening to you on that. Just I'm going to do Tiger. I, I, I sure am. I sure am. Thank you guys. Thanks right. a lot, Jim. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Talk to you again. Yeah. Place I'm in between Come on 
can set me free.